Hello, welcome back to Country Roads Confidential here at Earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports. I am Mike Casaza. grateful that we at West Virginia are not in hot board season. Head coaching searches and assistant coaching searches yet. Whoops, did I say that? Chris, uh, how are your nerves knowing that we really don't have the fire drill that we had? Well, not this time last year, but 11 months ago from today. Yeah, I'm really glad not to be talking to you and texting you all hours of the night like we were last time. I think I'd go to sleep texting you and somebody else, and I'm sure you were doing the same at at midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, and then I'd wake up at 6 or 7 o'clock the next morning with more texts from you and and other people. Uh, That was a wild time, and I do not envy people who have to go through that that's why I like to poke fun of our friends over at the Tennessee side who seem to have to go through that every year or two. Um, I do not envy that. No, not at all. I think what makes me most about most mad about last year is that you and I talked like almost immediately after the bowl game. I left the press box and I said, uh-oh, I think we're going to have a coaching search. And it happened really quickly. And I, I don't know if it was by the time I got to my car or the time I got back to my hotel room and I spoke to my wife and I said, this is going to happen and it's going to be one Oh five on the morning of the first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, how do you know? And I'm like, cause I really think he's leaving and I really think that he's going to try to skate with paying a lesser buyout and it's an hour behind in Houston. So if the buyout goes down on January 1st and it's January 1st in Houston, it's going to be that time. And like, sure enough, I really think it was like 105 when the official thing happened. And like I had the bookends and everything in between was so convoluted and so awkward. And so um, not something I want to revisit that. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'd do it better next time, but I really don't feel like doing it again next time. Hopefully we don't have to worry about that, at least for a few more years. I mean, I think at least as far as the head coaching thing is, I think we're all well aware that, assistant coaches come and go at least a couple every year so that's not some like big you know not breaking news or anything there so i think we'll be ready for that but the wholesale changes uh, can be exhausting i think you and me or you and i and shane Lyons and the fan base in general probably owes the university of houston a gigantic thank you for <laughs> getting rid of their coach last season which was the first domino to fall. Remember, it was kind of strange that they made a coaching change, but they did because let's say that they, that West Virginia didn't want to fire Holgerson and pay the money last year. And let's say that Houston didn't want to fire its coach and just kept things status quo for another year. And we just go through this lame duck season. Could you imagine if Holgerson's contract had lapsed? And I mean, let's just say they're at the situation now where like, it's a bad year and he does no better or marginally better than what Brown did. And you got to make a change. It's a really crowded coaching market right now. And I'm not sure that Neil Brown slips through the cracks and ends up at West Virginia again this year. I guess it's sort of remarkable that it happened last year. Yeah. I think what happened seems like, at least as far as where we are sitting right now, um, I'm sure hindsight could be 2020 down the road, but Right now, it seems like West Virginia made out like a bandit last year. And if they were out searching for a coach right now with all the other schools that are searching for a coach, uh, it would, boy, that would not be fun. And I am I think it would be, 
I don't want to say a rude awakening for some West Virginia fans, but maybe so just about where things are and, and how hard it is to find a coach or, or what kind of coaches West Virginia would be looking at, because I think they got to, they, they continue to get the good up and coming coaches, um, not to skip over the Bill Stewart era there, but how he, he, you know, he was a little different. His situation was obviously different, but Rich Rod was the young and up and coming coach that turned out really well. Dana Holgerson was the young and up and coming coach that kind of just fell into their lap because of the awkward exchange with, with Bill Stewart. And then Neil Brown just kind of falls into their lap because the coaching change happens more or less after the carousel had stopped. And Neil Brown was just there. And West Virginia gladly was like, yeah, sure. We'll take the hot new young coach that everybody talks up, but is somehow still available. Sure. So uh, West Virginia, I don't feel like has really truthfully had to battle for a top tier coach, you know, against like say a blue blood or somebody with more money or something of that nature. So I think, avoiding that is probably in West Virginia's best interest. So yeah, it, it could have been real bad this off season. Mm. I do remember the Rodriguez days and I remember that there were, I mean, he was kind of a slice bread guy back then too, because of his affiliation with Tulane and then Clemson and that, that spread offense was starting to really well spread, I guess. Sorry. But the read options and everything you're thinking, are we really going to invest a program in this guy? And I sometimes think about, you know, what if it was 10 or 15 years later for Rodriguez, you know, the world's his oyster, really, because he had that offense down at two schools and then it didn't take him long to get a humming here. And that's kind of a what if, too. Like, and also he's a guy who is, you know, football has a cyclical way and we're kind of getting back into where running is cool again. And, and that guy knew how to run the ball. And I don't know if if the, the goods are too damaged there or if the luggage is too considerable, but there are a lot of vacancies. So There's going to be a lot of offensive coordinator spots. And I don't know if he ends up in the head chair or if he ends up in a coordinator's booth, but I truly hope he doesn't allow the camera to be in the press box with him and <laughs> capturing the madness of King Richard uh, as often and as willingly seemingly as he did this season. But I do wonder what happens with him and if the star continues to shine or if, if maybe he gets gobbled up by a weird situation at Ole Miss. I'm not going to lie. I was kind of intrigued about him being back into coaching there at Ole Miss because of that quarterback that they have there. Right. Uh, what's his it? John Reese. Uh, uh, it's escaping the rest of me. Plumley. Plumley. Uh, and even Macro, just how dual threat they are, how they run. I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting, kind of exciting about him coaching. An off, at least coaching an offense with a player like that full time. I'd be curious to see how it would go, but I don't think that's going to happen. Weird times. Um, today is Wednesday, December 4th. The football season's over. I want to dig into some basketball, Chris, so that's all right with you. Absolutely. West Virginia 7-0, and not ranked. Naturally, this is going to infuriate a lot of people. It does not bother me so much. I think it probably mm. disappoints players at West Virginia. It probably pleases the head coach in a candid moment. He would tell you that. I don't really think he cares, though. But, hey, December, you don't have a loss. You're in the conversation. Given where things were 52 weeks ago, pretty good situation. But should they be getting more respect? Are they getting too much respect? Or is it right about even? Uh, you know how I like to do my power rankings, and I, I call it the actually accomplished rankings mm -hmm. instead of just how you think they do. 
And in the actually accomplished rankings, I, West Virginia is a top 25 team. Okay. As far as, I mean, obviously undefeated, a lot of teams undefeated, but they've played some decent teams. They haven't beat up on entirely on cupcakes. So I think they're in there, but I'm not surprised that they're not in there yet. Just because we all know how these polls are. They start with the preseason and a kind of a bias of where these voters believe they should be. And voters have a hard time adjusting that from week to week. If a team loses or a team wins, or a team wins, they have a hard time moving them down. Mm-hmm. And not a lot of teams are losing this time of year. It just doesn't happen because there's not that many kind of top-tier matchups between good programs. Uh, there's obviously a couple, uh, you know, Michigan State and Kentucky playing earlier in the year, Duke and so on. But <clears throat> you're just not going to get a lot of teams that are going to go that are good teams that are say five and two or four and three. So there's not going to be as much movement. It doesn't surprise me at all that West Virginia's not in there. I think I predicted they would be uh, undefeated or 11 and one at one point and just barely cracking into the top 25 because of that. I do think that there are heavier preseason tournaments nowadays it seems like everybody has an island or a hotel or a casino (laughs) and they're letting you come and play games and that's i mean that's just big business now too and i'm not sure that west virginia ends up in the flashiest or most competitive tournaments um and and it never seems to go well for them this year this time it actually did and i think it was probably it's not the tournament that is going to launch you into the top 25 it's probably what they needed i mean those were good games even the i mean even the ones that were at home Northern Colorado really made them work and probably helped them win the Northern Iowa game. Um, Boston was a bit of a relaxing game relative to all the other ones. And then Northern Iowa was good and Wichita State's good. Those are good teams. And they really had to work to win both of them. Um, I think if they end up in one of those uh, glizzy tournaments in Maui, which I don't think Huggins will ever travel there or they're going to the Bahamas next year. One of those big ones. I think it's Bahamas next year. Is that right? Yeah. The battle for Atlantis one. Yeah, I'm not sure what the field is, but they always seem like they're on the second tier, um, which probably keeps them from being um, ranked right now because if they had beaten the team with a number next to its name or two of them or whatever, things are different. But they can't argue with 7-0. I think what's curious is that they're not really boat racing anybody and they they come back to the field a bunch. Their margin of victory is 11.5 points a game. Offense is still not impressive. I think the biggest thing is that they're seven or no, and that's the the most promising thing because they, they could have taken one or two or I don't know three losses so far. I, I'll I'll give you a guess on who's in that top eight because I would argue that the battle for Atlantis next year might be one of those top tier tournaments. Yeah, as it's I was a, saying that you know West Duke doesn't schedule anybody. I was thinking, oh no, that's actually a good schedule. <laughs> yeah, Duke, Ohio State, Memphis, uh, Wichita State again uh, in there, so it could be a couple good games next next year in the Bahamas. Are, yep. you, are you going to cover that? We want to join coverage that one? I was going to ask you, what do we think? Uh, I think we need at least two sets of eyes on that, on those games just to get a good, uh, you know, read on that team next year. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you, I don't know, passive aggressively name drop that you played in a college tournament in the, in the Atlantis one year? No, that was Barbados. Bahamas. Barbados, Barbados. pardon me. Oh, no. oh quickly. I forget. I don't know how I can forget something. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have an issue with it, and it's it's odd. I don't, I don't know what is the metric to follow these days, but I followed Ken Pomeroy forever. So Ken Palm said 34. I think the voters said 32 in uh, the coaches of the media. I'm not going to flood this, but right around the same spot in both polls. So it's kind of funny where people get their information from right now. But I'm also surprised by how quickly everyone has deserted the RPI. It used to be the metric, and it's nothing <clears throat> 
And West Virginia is number one in the RPI and has five wins over the top 100. Well, Mike, you know where I get my information from? Mm. The no. RPI. Okay. Whatever is the most convenient for my argument, that's where I get my information. So West Virginia, number one team in the country. Do you know who is number two in the RPI? I do not. I'm going to look it up right now, but I don't. I'm going to I'm going to fill the time in between now and just say that it's surprising. It's not your first or your 100th guess, uh, and it probably validates why the RPI is no longer um, the main metric. Let me know when you have that, Chris. Well, I'm trying to pull it up right now, but let's see. It's a four-letter four letter school. Oh. It begins with U. Yeah. It is not UCLA. University of Texas, El Paso. Who is 2-0 and hasn't played in two weeks. What in the is that world? Right? Yeah, that's what I'm looking. I see two and zero as well. I I am not up on my uh, uh, my minors basketball. Right, they're the minors, UTEP minors. Correct. I I'm not up on my minors basketball, so I can't say for sure. But I, I mean, look behind them: Kansas, Colorado, Arizona, Maryland, UVA. So it's not that far off. But do I think West Virginia's number one in the country? No, but I, I do think they deserve some top twenty-five recognition at some point soon can you name a couple of former utep players i cannot not a single one. Oh man are we gonna do this now um tim hardaway what tiny archibald uh i'm trying to think one of the davis brothers dale or antonio davis antonio davis I, i've looked it up but yeah antonio okay. davis and I'm probably blank, and I can't imagine there are too many more after that. But I'm definitely sure about the first two and a, and a half. I got one of the Davis brothers. Which, uh, let's see, which Jason Williams is this? It's no, not white chocolate. Not, not white chocolate, that's Oklahoma for sure. No driver? No. Not, no NBA, all Europe. Oh, okay. But Nolan Richardson, by the way, former yeah. Arkansas coach. Okay. Uh, he played there as well. All right. Well, people came here to hear about UTEP, so we fulfilled their dreams here. But uh, let's get back to our team. Uh, hot question on our site this week um, came from a reader, and it's a fun thought exercise. It's not relevant or tangible in the fact that it's ever going to matter, I think, unless they get, like, mumps. And even then, they'd have to select who gets the mumps because we're trying to figure out if Huggins had to pare it down to an eight-person rotation Um I don't know what the inspiration or motivation would be, but let's just say for the sake of argument, he had to pare it down to eight players. It seems that six or seven are automatic, and then two of them are kind of fringe. And by and large, seven are pretty solid. The eighth is very different. My top eight is mostly the same as everyone's top eight, except it has one deviation that seems to infuriate people. <laughs> but I'm going to go up. I had to just pick eight players to travel with, right? Let's just say there's, a, there's only, I don't know, 11 seats on the plane. I get my eight players, excuse me, 12. How about that? I get my eight players, my head coach, my three assistants. So maybe that's what we're talking about here. They're going to the Bahamas for a tournament next this year, and they only have 12 seats in the plane. So you got eight in your four coaches. I'm going to go with uh, McBride, Haley, Matthews, Shibway, Culver, McCabe, Osaboyan, and everybody's not in their head saying, yeah, uh-huh, seven, seven, I get it. And I'm going to leave my eighth open because I believe you have the same seven. Are your first seven the same? Yes. For me, it's a no doubt six. Um, 
McCabe is my yeah sure seventh. Uh, I'll wait for arguments otherwise, but I like him as my seventh. And then my eighth. Well, let's just stop there for a second. Yeah. Let's, let's let's draw this out. Starting five, I guess if you want to call it that, but we have we probably have both of us McBride before McCabe, right? Yeah. Fine. I have McCabe because you need a second point guard and and he can do the things that that role would need to do. Whether he starts or finishes, plays ten minutes, plays thirty, he's capable. Um, so I'm okay with that. I think Osaboyan might be one that people raise an eyebrow about, um, as opposed to perhaps another guard or even Logan Route. I just like the way that he complements, especially Culver, but I think he can get comfortable with Sheboy too. Um, I just like the fact that he can give you some size and he can guard a little bit out in the perimeter, foul trouble or whatever. He can at least let you play big. So those are my justifications for them as my six and seven. Agree? Yeah, I had, I actually had Gabe as like if we were ranking him ahead of McCabe just because I feel the same way you do about his fit with Culver and Chibwe. And I mentioned on our last podcast, I feel like his um, being cleared to play was the beginning of the end of the Logan route era, mostly, at least as far as uh, important minutes go. And the only reason I have McCabe seventh is just because I feel like, I almost wanted to cheat and take your brilliant idea from last time of just <laughs> putting putting the guards out there and being like, all right, who's making shots today? Oh, you? Okay, you're playing then. You're you're in. The rest of you head to the locker room. Because I, I agree that McCabe, I think, is the only other pure point guard on that team. So I think you need a pure point guard, and that's why I still have him as my definite seven. But then after that... I could go a thousand different ways um, for that eighth spot. I'm not sure which way I want to go, and I think it would depend on the day. Okay, well, let's get into this now. We have our seven. Uh, eight is very divisive, but I think the purpose and the beauty of this exercise is that it happens in the moment, and we could have this conversation on the 18th and have maybe a different top five or seven. Certainly, there's going to be deviations in the top eight. It's pretty much a snapshot of what's happening in the moment and who you like and who you trust. So we agree on the five. We agree on the seven, even, I guess, even though we allow there's probably some wiggle room in there. If not now, then in the future, eighth is a wild card. Um, And I think it reflects trust, potential production. Who knows? Um, My eighth. Say it. Chase Harler. And I'm dodging the tomatoes in the garbage right now in my own office. And I don't know why. Uh, My reason being that. Right now, McNeil and Sherman are are spinning a little bit and kind of treading water. Um, I'm curious. The Harler played, I think, like two minutes, maybe three last game. Um, I don't know if he's on the way out or if it's just a thing that Huggins didn't like the way he practiced. Perhaps he was tired. Maybe he's got a flu. I don't know. Didn't talk to him. But what I know about him trumps what I know about Sherman and McNeil and maybe what I don't yet know about them again this may be different in two weeks I think that a lot of people would hope it would be different in two weeks because that would mean that Sherman started scoring and McNeil started making shots and those two have come up to a level where they need to be at where Huggins wants them to be at I just like Hardler as an eighth guy because he could make a shot at the minimum he's going to stretch a defense which helps your bigs Um, I think he can guard a little bit or at least play the team defense concept he can handle the ball a little bit I think he's sneaky good on offense in that he moves the ball. He doesn't get stuck with it. He makes the pass. It sets up the pass. And he cuts a lot. He keeps the offense moving. It doesn't stagnate very often when he's in there. He's not hitting at a high rate. 
He's not making threes. Um, and he didn't play a lot Sunday, but I'm defending myself overly here because I know people are curious why I would pick him above, especially Sherman and McNeil. I rest my case. I don't think it's a bad case uh, because you're, I think he does everything that Huggins wants him to do, wants his guys to do out there. Like you said, he cuts, he plays hard on defense, he gets back on defense. He, he Mentally, he's there uh, for the most part. And, and shooting-wise, he's not as – I mean, he's not great. But remember, this is all relative to a team that is shooting 30% from three as a team. Uh, you know, he's made the third most threes on the team. He's shooting the third best field goal percentage on the team at the moment. Um, I don't think it's a bad choice. But me, and and this is going along with what you said earlier about it, it kind of being in the moment. So I think if you would ask me to, I had games cleared and you got to pick eight before the first game. I probably would have stuck with the same seven we've already said. And then I likely would have gone Sherman 8, Mc, uh, Harler 9, and McNeil 10. But now, in the moment, just be, out of the way they are playing, probably, I guess, just even the last two or three games, McNeil might be my 8 because I feel like he is the guy that can catch fire at any given time more than anyone else on this team. And West Virginia needs that. They need someone. Someone who can catch fire. I know Emmett Matthews can make some threes. He's been the best shooter so far, uh, most consistent shooter so far this season. But if I need, uh, you know, that guy to come off the bench and hit a couple big shots, I think McNeil is my best bet. And he likely would have been my number 10 guy just a couple weeks ago. Well, let's pin this because we'll come back to it, I don't know, two weeks from now or whatever. And I'm guessing that it'll change. And I think it'll probably change in the bottom up. I would not be surprised. I think McNeil is coming along quickly. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if he takes the Hardler spot. I don't know what's up with Hardler and why he didn't play very much because Huggins, Huggins really likes him and really thinks that he knows what he's doing. Uh, but I also think Huggins is being very um, inventive with his playing time and what he's doing this year and all that stuff. So I think it could work. Um, but Hardler played three minutes last game. And you think, well, he only played three. Um, certainly some other guards are going to get more burn, but Napper played two, Sherman played six, McNeil played 10. Um, that was unusual to me. Um, eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What did you think about playing Culver off the bench for the first time this season? Well, I should say the second time, but the first time strategically. I like it because I, I, I think Oscar is going to bring that energy every week that you, you want him out there with that first unit to start to kind of set the pace as someone who's going to crash the glass hard, play hard defense. And I think it just fits better with Gabe out there alongside either Oscar or Culver as playing that four. I think it fits better because it, it provides better defensive mashups. I like the way Gabe plays defensively. Obviously, I think we all knew that when he was coming from Arkansas. That's what he was known for. He was not known for his offense at all. But I've also been surprised with the way he fits offensively, too, because Culver and Oscar have been kind of at odds about where they fit on the floor, how they're going to make this all work, who's going to do what, who's going to post up, who's going to go to the elbow. And neither of them really they're, they get in their way too much each other's way too much and Gabe did a nice job of getting up to the high post to the elbows to the to the top of the key and doing a nice high low pass I saw it multiple times in that game uh, I think it was almost so good that it surprised his teammates a couple times like holy crap this is an entry pass that is going where it's supposed to go I don't know what to do um, there was one time where he caught at the high post and lobbed down towards the block where Oscar was supposed to go because he had no one there defending right. him. He had his man sealed and Oscar kind of just stayed where he was and the ball just soared out of bounds and they looked at each other and that's on Oscar. That's not a bad pass. He threw it right towards the rim, right towards the block. That's where Oscar should, he should have released, got it, laid it in, dunked it, something. Um, I think he opens up that off. I think we all knew the defense was coming. And I think he's surprisingly opening up the offense when he's out there. There's just so many complimentary parts in this. It's, it's silly to boil the conversation down to a top eight. It's it's fun to have a discussion here. But I, I think what's most intriguing and perhaps most promising in the future about this team is that there's so many pieces that fit together. And Osaboyan's one of them for sure. Five rebounds, four assists. And offensively, he's, he's curious, I guess. Um, they set him up and he scored inside. He missed a three. And then he had a putback, I think, that just didn't roll for him. I mean, he can do a little bit of everything. And the spacing was a little bit better with him. Um, again, you see Sheboy and Culver clunking to each other every so often or, or not really know what to do or who defers or anything like that. Um, they both were good. Culver was great. Sheboy was good. I don't think we're going to sneeze at um, what he did. Just missing a double-double thanks to a phantom call. But you're talking 11 points and nine rebounds. That's good for a guy who maybe didn't have a great game. What stands out to me is that the problem, and I don't want to say problem, but the the question mark about this team was right in front of us the whole time, and it was also the potential strength, is that these two guys are so good, and you try to get your best five together. Um, I don't know, I guess, now that I've beat that drum for so long that I like the music, because if you have your best five on the floor and two of them just don't click, you're clogging up minutes by clogging up the floor. This let those two both play enough um Shibway got in some foul trouble I think at 21 minutes Culver had to play 32 because he was hot but you're going to see them probably both playing around 25 26 a game um and maybe if you can extend them and overlap just a little bit it helps and I wonder if there's longevity in this too because the big part of this 
was hugging saying that they can't score and they don't defend near the rim when Osaboyan and Logan Rout play together. And if you start Sheboy and you start Culver, eventually those two are going to be out concurrently and you have to play those other two together. And it sounds like he wants to avoid that altogether. Yeah, yeah that was a, a rough go for Rout in this last game. I thought he had been playing well all summer and, and kind of to start the season at times, but um, he just got straight line drive to borrow a phrase from Bob Huggins several times, turned it over multiple times, not a great last game. And, and, and I agree. I don't think he fits well with Gabe because I'm not sure who's going to score offensively from between the two of them. Uh, and, and like you said, I, I don't know about defensively. Gabe's got obviously some abilities there, but routes a little bit stiff to be, to be guarding some of these forwards that, that, Shibway or Culver might be able to. I have a, a scouting report thing on, on route, I think, because I forget the game it was, but he caught the ball and backed up and backed up and backed up and scored twice. And the coach went crazy. I, it might have been Boston. And I was just thinking, man, teams are going to see that and say, this cannot happen to our guys. And since then, he has been pressured when he gets the ball. Um, and then when he gets the ball away from when he's defending away from the basket, guys go at him. Um, And I wonder if that's just so apparent right now where there's the old fluorescent arrow flashing above his head. If you got him on offense or if you got him on defense, just pressure him and make sure he does something with the ball that maybe he's not comfortable doing. And um, there's going to be a game he swings or even wins with some rebounds or some putbacks or just good minutes. I wouldn't sell him out yet, but you're right. There's a spot that I don't think it works out very well for him. Um, Pop quiz for you if you're ready. Go. All right. Another pick here. Not eight. Let's just say you have. 17 seats on the plane and you can bring your head coach and your three assistants and 13 players. However, you bring 13 clones of just one player. Mm. Who are you cloning and bringing with you? Ooh. Well, I'll, tell, I, I'll go ahead and say I'm, I'm torn between in, in a close third. I got Oscar. Cause I, I would pick him, but I do he does I, and because I've, I've seen him make some threes, so I, he does have an outside shot at times. But I don't think he's polished enough. I don't think he knows the game well enough that if you put five of them out there together, it would work. So I'm I'm focused on Haley or Matthews. I'm with you, and, and, which and is I, weird because Culver is so. Um, I, I think individually talented, where he just does a lot of stuff on his own that maybe he doesn't need a whole bunch of teammates passing him and he can, he can make it work. But I think he's also a little bit limited with some skill. He's just a brute who gets his own because he gets his own. Um, Shibway, you're right. is just such a talent that by him, again, that he does everything, I guess not, maybe doesn't do everything well, but you can tell there's a potential there in almost everything he does to be really, really good at it. Um, my answer is not Chase Harler here. I can't go that far. Um, you can't go with McCabe. I think McBride is very interesting as an answer. Because he's big enough to guard and tough enough to guard a three or a four. He can obviously play in the backcourt. Um, he likes to rebound a little bit. He can shoot. He can score. But I'm with you. I haven't narrowed down to Haley and Matthews. I have my winner, but I think we're both down in the same spot, right? Yeah, and I think I'd, I, I'd lean Haley. Um, I feel like I know, I like Matthews can catch fire. I like that. I think he can shoot better than Haley. But I just – I would rather have Haley's ability to crash the glass 
and drive to the rim and dish than I would Matthews's ability to shoot from outside. All right. Well, this will be very interesting where Madison Square Garden and the genetic project that we've already commissioned here puts your 13 Haley's against my 13 Emmett Matthews. I would pick oh, Matthews. There uh, we go. I, I, like, I like his inside outside. I think he's quicker. I think he can guard left-handed. So he's going to deceive you a little bit if he gets you on the poster, if he's driving or dribbling. Um, not, a, not a wrong pick here, but I, I think it. I just like the way that Matthews can get going. I'm still watching him play, and I feel like he's very much in between things right now where you got a team that's focused on its two post players and trying to figure that out and has a bunch of guards who are finding the way. And here's your 6-9-3 who could get you 20 or who could grab 10 rebounds or who could probably hand out five assists or get five steals. Um, but it's just not the focus right now, and it's kind of fun to watch him find his way and, and figure out how he fits in that night against that opponent. Um, I don't think concern is the right word, but are you – are you monitoring him and how he progresses here as everything else happens around him? No, I, I'm not concerned about much anything right now with this team as far like this early in the season. Uh, Cause I think for me with, with all the individual players and with the team, it was never really going to be, uh, you know, I was never really going to be concerned or, or excited whichever way about anything until it got to about January, because we have seen so often over the years of Bob Huggins kind of manipulating his roster, his rotations, his game plans, just experimenting to see what he has throughout the non-conference schedule that I feel like you don't really get a good vibe for this team or even some of the players until you get to the new year. Fair enough. Um, speaking of new year, football embarks on one now. You go into the offseason and the offseason is – not really the end of the season as much as it's the beginning of the new one because so much formative stuff that shapes um, really spring now, never mind August, um, starts right away with recruiting and the comings and goings on the roster and the coaching staff. Um, but before we even dig into that, t- today, later this morning, maybe early this afternoon, we'll have news from the Big 12, the all-conference teams and the individual award winners here. Um, it'll be curious to see what the coaches think of individuals. I'm not sure there's an award winner individually in there. You're looking at offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year. I don't think anybody's going to defend David Long's title. Offensive newcomer, defensive newcomer, offensive and defensive freshman, special teams player, offensive lineman of the year, defensive lineman of the year, and then coach of the year. Perhaps Colton McKivitz gets some offensive lineman of the year rub, and maybe he can defend Yadni Kajus towards uh, voting typically gets split up there. And you have co-winners last year. There were three winners. Um, not holding out hope for an individual award winner there anywhere. Would you be surprised by one spot or two spots? No, I don't think anybody's going to get, like you said, the individual player awards. I think there's obviously a couple guys up for say first team honors. Who do you have? Um, I think McKivitz has to be in there. Okay. Um, I would seriously consider Darius Stills because uh, don't they don't they? Uh, I mean, I, I know they try to keep it to three or four man, but sometimes it it gets expanded, like you said, with ties and whatnot. Um, Keith tough. Washington has he played enough? Do we have to consider that, or uh, you know, does he? I don't know if he has the counting stat. Last year he had some counting stats to go with it, and I feel like if you checked his you know, his, his graded out by the scouts and, and by the coaches, he'd be up there. But I'm not sure he has the counting stats, and he missed almost two full games, two and a half full games. Yeah. So, uh, 
Who am I missing? Who else do you have? Well, I'm with you on McKibbitz. I think that has to happen. The trouble is that defensive line and cornerback are so darn talented in this league that I don't think a second team honor is necessarily something to sleep on. But if you're just looking at defensive linemen, uh, Lynch and and Hubert, I'm trying to think Perkins at Oklahoma. I mean, there's a number of guys who are really good this year. And those are the stack guys. You know, you're talking, you know, inside guys like uh, I'm trying to uh, Roy from Baylor, um, the big nose from um, Oklahoma, whose name slips my mind right now. Um, just kind of makes what they do tick. I mean, that's going to be a tough thing. There's a bunch of guys there that, through no fault of Sills, it could just cost him. Um, Stills, I'm sorry. It could, could just cost him that spot. It's kind of hard to say what's going to happen there. Um, you just have good players there that are going to be tough. But, I mean, he's up there in sacks and TFL. So, uh, I believe seven sacks, 15 tackles for a loss. And he's top, certainly top four, top five in the entire conference. But, that also means among the defensive linemen, too. So that could be one that sneaks in there. Washington, I think the playing time and the fact that the defense wasn't very good. And he had some bad spots out there, which, again, will happen to a cornerback in the league. It's just going to be hard to make a case for him. And, again, there's there's a number of good ones there. Gladney will probably make it from TCU. Um, they have two corners, I guess two safeties that are really good. Um, the kid from Oklahoma State, Harvell Peel, really came on this year. Um Who's the corner at Baylor? Uh, Graylin Arnold was really good this year. There's just a number of guys. So, again, second-team honors aren't bad at those two positions because those are loaded spots right now. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Last year, what was it? I mean, you had Will Greer's second team, a couple other surprises too. So, like you said, second – depending on the position. I mean, I guess no matter what, second team is nothing to sneeze at. But – um, it's especially true for a, a few positions that are stacked like defensive line is this year. Here's your second team offense last year. Will Greer, Alex Barnes, who got drafted, David Montgomery, who got drafted, uh, Carson Myers, a fullback at Oklahoma State, Hakeem Butler got drafted, Jalen Rager, who's a bad man, he should get drafted this year, Wesley from Texas Tech, who got drafted, Charlie Kolar, who's back at Iowa State. That's your skill positions, and your your offensive line is Hakeem Identity from Kansas, Bobby Evans from Oklahoma, Lucas Neang from TCU, we should get drafted, Zach Shackelford from Texas, really good center, Jack Anderson, really good player at Texas Tech, and Sills from West Virginia. Um, that's a really good second-team offense, and that was second-team last year. Yeah. Uh, one more to go here. Um, we talked about everything that's going now at the end and how there really is no finish line. You just kind of spin the circle around again once you get to the end and you start over. Uh, that means recruiting. Already saw some news, I guess some news last week, uh, Sunday, um, Jackie Matthews commits, which may wrap up the defensive backfield, maybe not, um, but they have some spots to fill. They have a couple of people that they're, I guess, waiting on after the fact. They might sign everybody who's committed in December. They might keep some room for people. Um, how do the next, what is it, two weeks look at this? Yeah, two weeks from today will be the early, the start of the early signing period, which has become the signing period now. Um, and I, I can't try to remember the exact numbers. I think it's something like 85% of uh, eventual signees all signed during the December signing period. So this is the big one. Mm-hmm. And I expect, uh, all, if not all, then the very, almost all of the current West Virginia commits and the commits that will come in the next couple of weeks to sign that day or, or that week. Cause it is, is a period, not a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now West Virginia's got 15 
public commitments. I think the number we've kind of put out there has been 22, but I hate to put a concrete number on this of seven. I think you got to look at a range because one, you got this signing period, then you got next signing period. And once this signing period ends and everyone knows who's been signed and who's still available, it's basically just a reshuffling of everybody's recruiting board across the country. And you're going to see a couple new names pop back up, a couple old names come back, a couple guys that you thought maybe West Virginia might get just completely disappear. So it'll kind of shuffle back up for a few more weeks. And then Neil Brown is, is on record uh, just last week that he intends to keep at least a couple scholarships for transfers, grad transfers, Juco transfers, late ads, what have you. And on top of that, we've already seen how they can, uh, what do we want to say? Finesse the numbers here right? Uh, as far as scholarships go. So even that hard cap of 25, which would be seven more scholarships for this class, I don't know it's a hard cap. I think you could end up between, say, now, today, December 4th, and what, uh, August 1st, whatever the first day of fall camp is, maybe 10 more additions uh, to the roster, you know, between recruits and transfers, late ads and whatnot, and, and, you know, a couple of those being counted forward into the class of 2021. Um, given the low numbers on the on the total scholarship chart, it's something they're probably going to have to do for the next few cycles to try to catch up unless the NCAA changes some rules about this 25-man hard cap or all these transfers. Old friend of ours, Ryan Dorchester, used to be in charge of recruiting, used to love having a surprise and to fly one in under the radar and just kind of rub it in the next time we'd see him. Like, oh, you guys never saw that coming. Um, <laughs> I think that they probably have some cards up their sleeve. I was not surprised that um, we haven't even talked about Sean Martin recruited or committed over the weekend. Really right after the season, I kind of expected they would probably try to follow good news or bad news with something big, and they sure enough did with a really good addition to the defensive line. Um, so maybe that's like kind of what I'm talking about here. But can you see a surprise? Can you see a run on good news? Do you think they have something planned, or is it simply that they're just capable of doing their job? I think they'll have something planned. Uh, I think – especially because we saw it last year a little bit. Uh, George Campbell, I don't recall anybody even reporting on that until all of a sudden there was just a picture of him on campus and was there. Um, and then, you know, I don't know if we're going to call this surprises, but part of that whole reshuffling of the January recruiting board happens because of changes in the assistant coaching staffs all around the country, which will free up a couple guys. And so I think you could see some there. And I'm not putting anything past them this weekend or next weekend, the last two opportunities to visit before the early signing period, because there's so much turmoil at all these other schools with all these coaching changes that you're seeing guys left and right reopen their recruitments. And I could see West Virginia getting back in with them. A couple right off the top of my head. Um, well, one can't visit Chris Abrams drain, drain who committed to Ole Miss. He officially visited back in the summer, so he can't visit again unless he pays his own way. But he's already said he's back open, and quarterback commit Garrett Green's already said he's working on getting him. West Virginia was in his top group before he committed to <laughs> Ole Miss. Outstanding. So, um, and then you got Charles Bell, who was committed to Syracuse and opened things up last week. And he got his offer from Jamila Dye a month ago and said even then, while he's still committed to uh, Syracuse, that he would visit West Virginia before signing. And he's an early enrollee, so he's someone who will have to make a decision 
in the next couple of weeks and, and sign something so he can enroll in January. And if you're West Virginia, you know, an FBS caliber defensive back who can enroll in January sounds pretty good right about now. So I think he might sneak in one of these next couple of weekends too. Interesting. So the coaching carousel can, uh, one way or the other, affect the recruiting circuit. That's pretty interesting. Um, do you fear anything falling off unexpectedly? Could I don't know. Let's just say that a coaching change at an SEC school or an ACC school, um, I don't know, elevates an assistant to a head coach. Not a West Virginia. I'm just saying, like a, someone that is friendly with one of West Virginia's commits or even targets ends up in a coordinator spot or in a head coaching spot. Any type of threat to West Virginia's recruiting efforts? I don't see many that would be. Uh, you know, uh, vulnerable to that uh, in part because I feel like a lot of those changes that happen, especially with assistant coaches, won't happen until, say, the first couple of weeks of January. And all these guys will already be signed. And I don't imagine they'll try to get out of their letter of intent by then. I did hear a funny story, um, actually, about 30 minutes ago when we started this podcast about tight end commit Charles Finley, mm-hmm. uh, obviously from Rutgers and Rutgers on Tuesday while we're recording this, um, officially announced the hiring of Greg Schiano, rehiring. <laughs> and wouldn't you guess who reached out to Charles Finley to see if he was interested in a late visit? Wow. Yeah. But uh, you always got to worry about the home state school, but I'm I'm told that that was not happening, that he's not going to take a visit. Um, obviously, you got to keep an eye on these things in these last couple of weeks. You never know who... Um, is going to say it's not happening, and it still does. We've seen that plenty of times. I still remember the safety commit who I called and spoke with him and his father and asked them about their interest in Ohio State, and they told me that was untrue. They would never visit there, would never flip, and they had answered the phone while in Columbus. <laughs> so <laughs> um, just keep that in mind. Let's uh, – you know, it's not always in the recruits best interest to have the entire truth out there. So we never know what's going to happen. We'll keep an eye on it real quick before we go. I was looking at the all conference teams as we were talking here and trying to figure out how the voting goes. Um, the all conference second team on offense last year had six offensive linemen and one, two, three, four, five defensive linemen. So I would imagine they try to keep the first team limited and extend ties into the second team. So that might be good. And while that first second team offense was good, the second team defense had Baylor's James Lynch, Iowa State's Jaquan Bailey, who redshirted, I believe, this year and got hurt. Uh, his teammate, Ray Lima, Jarrell Owens, who is with the Browns now, and Kenny Bigelow on the defensive line. So pretty good group there. Uh, Clay Johnson, Kenneth Murray um, are, were the linebackers, as well as Gary Johnson, who was at Texas. Um, Johnston is probably the best player on Baylor before he got hurt. Murray is probably the defensive player of the year in the conference. Cornerbacks were uh, Duke Shelley and Brian Peavy, who were both drafted, and then A.J. Green and Jeff Gladney, who are probably the best in the business in the conference right now. Uh, and then Ridwan Isa, Isa, Isaku. I don't know how to say that one. TCU. But again, mm-hmm. nothing wrong with second team honors here in a conference that's uh, got 10 teams, so maybe it's a little bit different in a 14-team conference, but 10 teams, but all those second team players we just listed are really good. And a lot of them will be first team players this year too. Wouldn't, um, would not discount the chance that McKivitz and or Darius stills ends up on the first team. Certainly there's a spot for them in the second team though. Wait, speaking of voting, yeah. I just got my email the other day. 
I, I won't I won't keep in our listeners too long, but um, how much are you voting for your Heisman before or after the conference championship games? I'm after. I'm strictly after because I think okay. it matters. It's, I don't discount teams that don't make the national or the, the conference championship games, but nor can I discount a player whose team is on it and he does really well in that game. I'm in the same boat, and I, although I feel like, and I guess we are, uh, you know, asked not to divulge our picks, so I won't do that. I won't ask you to do that, but I, too, am a post-conference championship kind of guy, but I'm trying to remember when the last time it was that my choice was so close that it came down to that, because I don't feel like that's the case this year, at least for me. It's been a couple years. Like, I think I was Murray and Mayfield easily the last two years. And I'd have to take a look at it, but there have been times where I've I've gone down to like Sunday night or do Monday morning, I believe. But I've gone into Sunday night going, well, you know, this one game here, and I know he didn't get to play in the championship game. Or well, let's see their record against, you know, top 25 teams. And how did he what was his completion percentage on the road? And I've gotten really into the minutiae to make decisions there. And um, I, I, without giving it away, I think if there's two games we're going to watch um, Saturday and see how teams did. I'm not sure win loss will affect me at all i think performance will affect me um i'm not sure i have the same one that everybody else does but i'm not sure who everybody's one is but mm-hmm. i think there's probably a handful of people you have to watch in probably two games right yeah as i say i got i feel pretty confident about my top two and i, I it would have to be something special for me to change who my number one is based off this weekend but i will be watching at least two games to decide between those two here's my here's my piping hot take chase young will not win the heisman but he will win the heisman for somebody um he will help ohio state win and then dobbins or fields will have a great game um but he'll also get votes that might take away from votes that would go to joe burrow um or he'll get enough votes that some of the guys at ohio state who might be deserving that they don't get enough votes and Burrow ends up with a narrow margin. Like he's going to get second and third place votes. He's going to get first place votes, I think too. Um, but he's, I think he's going to factor into the voting. Be careful what you say, Michael. Don't get in trouble. They can't take my vote away. I'm the one who hands the votes out. They take mine away. I think that's in the, in the fine print. All right. Well, we've uh, gone over time here. Didn't expect this to happen, but uh, the top eight and the 13 of one player conversations were just too good to pass up. But, uh, uh, we'll revisit those conversations in the future, especially the top eight. I look forward to our uh, travel roster of just one player in the football season, Chris. That ought to be fun. Yeah, and we also are going to have another podcast probably in a week or two. I mean, we'll have more between now and then. But I've already uh, you know, marked my calendar for this furious debate we're going to have about the 2020 depth chart 10 months out. Yeah. I'm really excited. People will be eager about that. Cool. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll wait for a future episode because that is it for this time. We will see you next time. I am Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you later.